Hello and thank you for being with us here in Israel in the monitor. I'm in from Tel Aviv. So finally, it is behind us. The first meeting between uh, President Joe Biden and Prime Minister Naftali Bennett took place on Friday after a gruesome thriller that caused a delay of 24 hours due to the terrible terror attack in Kabul. So how was it? Do these two leaders, the BBs, Bennett and Biden, can create an intimate bond between uh, themselves, ignoring the huge age and ideology gap? And more than this, what are the chances of promoting a real negotiation track with the Iranians or Palestinians or any other side through the endless Middle East conflict under these two leaders? What can Israel expect in the upcoming months from the negotiations in Vienna with the Iranians? And what must Prime Minister Bennett do in order to manage the Israeli-Palestinian conflict? Our guest today is a negotiation expert. Moti Crystal is the founder of Nest Group. And following a long and fruitful uh, career uh, as one of Israel's leading negotiation experts, Crystal is now bringing a, a unique systemic approach to the world of negotiation. From 94 to 2001, Crystal served in various official negotiation capacities in Israel's Prime Minister's Office and Ministry of Defense. Monte Crystal is a Lieutenant Colonel in Reserve in the IDF with extensive operational experience in crisis negotiation and lectures worldwide on crisis negotiation and complex crisis management. Monte Cristo will be here right after this short break. If you're listening to this podcast, you obviously care about the Middle East. And if you do, you should probably be reading El Monitor. El Monitor is a global newsroom headquartered in Washington, D.C., with a network of over 160 contributors around the world. El Monitor offers first-class reporting and analysis from a range of perspectives and an approach that represents the highest journalistic standards, as well as an award-winning commitment to press freedom and independence. If you haven't done so already, visit us at elmonitor.com, check out our articles, and sign up for our free newsletters. There's a lot to choose from, including the Week in Review, an essay that offers unusual insights and forecasts into the region based upon El Monitor's outstanding reporting. And if you haven't done so, please subscribe to our El Monitor podcast on your favorite podcast platform, on Israel with Ben Caspit and on the Middle East with me, Andrew Parasoliti. Now I'm happy to say hello and welcome here to our podcast, uh, my friend and colleague, Moti Crystal. Hi, Moti, how are you doing? Hi, good day, Ben. I'm fine, thank you. Okay, so we are uh, at last uh, after the historic summit uh, in Washington between Prime Minister Naftali Bennett and President Biden, a 49-year-old conservative, orthodox, Israeli Prime Minister is meeting a 78-year-old liberal Democrat American president. And before diving to your expertise and the details where you want to talk about uh, all the negotiations we are facing or not, 
just if you can in few words a general impression from uh, this meeting after it was postponed in uh, for 24 hours uh, due to the terrible uh, suicide bombing in kabul seeing them uh, sitting there together do you think the chemistry was good do you think there is a chance or a potential to launch a, a, a relationship or an intimate a relationship between the these two leaders oh uh, yeah I, i think that as we seen from the pictures the chemistry was good because uh the israeli prime minister bennett really came prepared and i would say humble uh when there is such a, a huge a significant uh age gap which is of course uh, experience gap as well i don't recall in that direction uh which means a very young israeli prime minister with a very very you know old or mature experienced american president uh we are the opposite we had uh definitely bill clinton looking up to its hakrabin or uh uh bush uh george w looking up to uh prime minister el sharon but in the order that we saw here uh which means a very very junior uh, and senior as my colleague ranetion mentioned this is something that bennett came prepared to the meeting and he really uh um posed or a uh, position the meeting with a lot of respect to that uh age or experience gap which of course allowed um uh, president biden to be the uh, comforting father or the the you know the 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 supreme leader in the good sense <laughs> that really hug uh his uh young son and i think that uh in contrast and both leaders mentioned it in contrast of what we seen uh in the last four years that is definitely a refreshing and and um a good sign of a positive relations to come so only a, fo- a follow up uh, on this a short follow up on this I- i'm uh, old enough to remember the disastrous meetings between netanyahu and obama in the same place one of uh, these meetings was called later the lecture when netanyahu just uh, sat there in the in the oval office and lectured obama about uh, you know uh, israel not uh, being able to to go back or to retreat to the 67 or to the, the green line and and i have to mention that the prime minister bennett was also lecturing it was a long text that, that he said there in the oval office but you know the tone was totally different so i think this is a this is a huge difference Yeah I I I fully agree and to context uh, to I can conceptualize what you just mentioned you know in any human interaction we look at the text at the context and at the subtext unfortunately and I'm saying unfortunately Bennett still exhibits some of his masters Netanyahu's uh, I would say characteristic or performance uh Uh, why because it is considered to be a very articulate way of pre- of presenting things i think that it was articulate during the netanyahu year but it was completely non constructive or i would say exactly the opposite it was destructive to the relationship as you mentioned so the text was indeed a, i would say a lecturing text but the context and definitely the subtext of the meeting was exactly the opposite of what netanyahu 
tried to uh, project with Obama Netanyahu in his lecturing text, meetings and the, uh, uh, and, uh, and the house speech, uh, uh, 2015, the famous one or the infamous one, uh, was uh, the subtext was, I'm here, I'm Netanyahu, I will sabotage your policy, Mr. President Obama. And that was definitely not the, uh, it was neither the context nor the subtext of uh, Bennett uh, meeting. So Bennett really needs to work on, uh, on, the text, uh, on the text itself. Okay, so now let's, I, I want to use your words and ask you what do you think about it and about the future uh, of a negotiation, Israeli negotiation in all, all fronts. And what you told me, in, 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 a, in a conversation is the following. Israel since 2009 has lost completely her negotiation wit and negotiation initiative on almost all frontiers, putting aside the not so difficult and mainly economic deal, Abraham Accords, Israel is not engaged in any constructive and design negotiation process as a means, a means to achieve any political goal. Moreover, being confronting, confronting the northern and southern fronts, Israel praises the operations under the threshold of a war with hardly any other policy tools. I think you meant the, the, the war between the wars that Israel is, uh, is yeah. doing, uh, in the no uh, mainly in the northern front. But I want to ask you, what negotiation on earth are you talking? Who should we negotiate with? Well, you know, negotiation is neither a policy nor an ideology. Negotiation is an operational tool which assists you in getting what you want. What happens is that in the eyes of definitely Netanyahu and unfortunately some of the right-wing uh, militarists uh, approach, negotiation is a sign or is perceived as a sign of weakness. People who think like that narrow their policy tools dramatically. Because when you look at superpowers, even US with the Taliban, uh, not to mention Russia and China, superpowers, and you know, honestly, also Turkey and to some extent Iran, superpowers know how to expand their, I would say, political toolbox and to use military might, which means the war between the wars or the campaigns between the wars, as well as influencing uh, operation, as well as diplomatic or initiating diplomatic engagement or political negotiations. When you look at Israel's under Netanyahu in the last decade, Israel initiated nothing. Netanyahu's policies to uh, seize all substantial negotiation. I'm talking. When I'm talking about negotiation, I'm talking about, uh, uh, I would say, politi constructive political engagement with one of two possible aims. First is to reach a certain negotiated outcome or just to maintain the process alive. I'll tell you, I'll tell you a, a little story about you know, maintaining the process alive. 
many years ago, I was asked to uh, uh, intervene or do some work between Catholic and Protestant in Northern Ireland. And oh, very, uh, for me, very easy from, mission. Well, yeah, it was it was an interesting one. Uh, you know, it was learning and trying to apply lessons from the Israeli-Palestinian to the Northern Ireland uh, uh, conflict. And one of the long nights with with teams there. I asked them, uh, it was the early years after the Good Friday Agreement in, um, uh, back in the 90s. And I, I asked, I asked my, my, my colleagues, you know, you signed an agreement, but in the agreement, being a very Israeli uh, operational person, but in the agreement, it doesn't say what is the end game. What are you aiming at? Is it a... a you know, a united island, a separate island, an autonomy. What is that? And they look at me, you know, they didn't understand the question. They look at me like, a, we agree on a process. We don't know where we are going, but we just agree that we go there without violence. We believe that it's good for both of us. And that was an amazing answer that uh, really reflects the fact that negotiations are not necessary or are not used only to reach uh, a certain outcome, be it conflict resolution, conflict management, ceasefire, hudna, whatever, but also a process to, I would say, govern the very unstable system. The only negotiation that Netanyahu conducted was this uh, bribing Hamas, it was not negotiation, it was a unilateral, uh, uh, I would say, uh, uh, surrender. Uh, bribing Hamas with the Qatari money through the suitcases in order to maintain a certain level, in, level of violence and of course the consequences of very weakening the, the Palestinian Authority uh, on the verge of collapse there, that was the only uh, engagement or negotiation that Netanyahu uh, uh, conducted. Even in times of crisis, the uh, uh, event in Jerusalem with this uh, um, detectors in the in the old city, and uh, any any event actually, even the post uh, cycles of violence in Gaza, Netanyahu with no negotiation capacity whatsoever not only himself, but no negotiation capacity compared to the previous years of Barak and Olmert, really uh, uh, performed zero use of, of, of negotiation as a political instrument. With whom to negotiate? I, but Moti, I, I want yeah. to, I, I want to uh, make it hard for you in this point, because maybe we are, and I'm also a very a harsh Netanyahu critique, maybe we're too too harsh with Netanyahu because you forget that if you will take the last 12 years of Netanyahu, between 2009 and 2015, he did conduct several uh, long and thorough negotiations. First, he sent uh, late, the late President Shimon Peres to negotiate with Abu Allah, and then he, he went to the London uh, uh, negotiation, London track or channel with uh, Hussein Aga and Yitzhak Molcho and Dennis Ross and President Obama was involved. And then he went to the- The Kerry initiative. The Kerry, exactly. The Kerry and Martin Indyk uh, tracks that actually swallowed 
whatever was done in London before. And this is a very good example, actually, to, to what you're saying. In these years, these six years, he managed the crisis. He outmaneuvered the, the, all his ri uh, rivals, uh, including President Obama, through negotiating. Whatever happened exactly. later, when he, he won the election in two, uh, 2015 and started to believe that he's immortal, is deserting this uh, channel, and then maybe he actually finally lost uh, lost power. You actually you actually prove my point. I know because I was to some extent involved in the uh, outskirts of of these early negotiations. Uh, yes, he understood. He had no intention whatsoever. And if you ask anyone from the Israeli side, from the Palestinian side, and from the American side. Netanyahu had no intention whatsoever. He definitely conducted what we called fake negotiations. But it, as you mentioned, it helped him maneuver and uh, definitely influence in the direction he wanted the Israeli-Palestinian uh, system. In 2015, and we all, when we analyze Netanyahu's policies, we all know that 2015 was the year that he flipped or changed completely. And yeah, maybe it's not a decade, maybe it's just half a decade. Uh, and uh, and what, what happened is that in this years, on this time, the Iranian axis became a significant more relevant. I'll give you, uh, um, and when, when not using negotiations, I think that the uh, consequences were much more visible in the Iranian uh, northern uh, frontier. Uh, in 2015, Netanyahu's strategy was to sabotage the Iranian deal, the JCPOA. Uh, instead of, uh, I was, you know, tried to pursue and to persuade, it was completely fail, uh, it, failure, uh, that Israel will uh, establish what I call the shadow negotiation team to be working with uh, John Kerry. And, uh, you know, I don't think very highly on the U.S. negotiation capabilities with Iran, but that's for a separate conversation. Yes, I wanted but to ask if, you about it as well. Yeah, Americans don't know how to negotiate with Iranians. I wrote about it. I talk about it. But if you want, we can, we can further yes. explore it. But, the, uh, uh, but Israel could have sent or could have uh, put together a shadow negotiation team to work with the Americans. But Netanyahu had one strategy of sabotaging the yes. Iranian deal. Even uh, uh, when it was clear that Israel could have gained all the holes that Netanyahu presented in the first Iranian deal, in the 2015 deal, could have been narrowed or addressed if Israel would have adopted an engagement policy vis-a-vis -vis the Instead of uh, confronting uh, the, the administration. Exactly. So let's talk exactly. about, uh, about the future with Iran. Right now we are in the middle of uh, trying to negotiate uh, between Iran and, uh, and the superpowers, especially the United States, uh, for returning to the JCPOA. What future do, do you see to this? Which side is, is more capable? You just uh, hinted that it is not the American side because the Iranians are the masters of uh, negotiation. Bizarre, yeah. 
uh, that's, uh, that is, you know, um, unlike any questions which is very complex, I think that this one is very simple. The Iranians first are much more capable in bargaining, in understanding, in going to the edge. I still remember the Harvard articles about the 2015 agreement uh, that praised the win-win outcome and uh, Zarif and his colleagues were laughing uh, uh, at this. It was very clear that the deal was okay for the West. It was okay for Israel. I'm not a nuclear expert, but when the majority, I was the overwhelming majority of the Israeli strategists and those people who understand like Yadlin and Eisenkot and uh, Emily Landau, uh, rest in peace, uh, when they said that the deal was okay, it was okay, but for the Iranian, it was a very good deal. Now the Americans actually uh, coming back, the same team, same people, and they were rushing immediately after Biden inauguration to uh, go back to the same deal. And that was a dramatic mistake because reality had dramatically changed with the withdrawal from uh, uh, Trump from the deal. The uh, Iranians took advantage of that and really ran to uh, enrich more uranium. I think that it was Amos Yadlin who uh, Channel uh, uh, 12 uh, uh, preached and, and, and said, Iran today has 10 times more uh, enriched uranium than they had in 2015, thanks to the Trump and Netanyahu uh, policies. And now Biden tries to, uh, I would say, reset the will. It's impossible. They would they needed the Americans to uh, not run, but uh, further use a stick and carrots with the Iranian, yes, impose more sanctions and enter into the negotiations, not from a win-win approach, but from a power-based uh, negotiations. I would, prefer allow the Russians negotiate negotiation, not policy, negotiate with the Iranians or the Chinese negotiations with the Iranians rather than giving the, 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 the Americans. And the Americans understood that actually the Iranians are taking advantage of that American need and urge and attitude to finalize, to go back to the agreement and of course play for time. And here is an interesting uh, uh, concept, uh, uh, Ben. The one who has better alternative has more power in negotiations. The no deal today is much better for Iran than for the West and definitely for Israel. Actually, Iran in the negotiation, from a negotiation point of view, Iran vis-a-vis -vis the West is exactly as Israel and the Palestinians, negotiation point of view. Israel, at least the right wing, benefits from the current stalemate or status quo in the negotiations. Because Israel continue its expand, uh, expanding the settlement and continue rushing towards the one state uh, uh, solution. So, so actually Israel. in the Israeli-Palestinian track, Israel plays the role of Iran. Exactly. You, you, you are a... Because, because, 
making Iranians out of us, if you don't mind. Yeah, well, well, from a negotiation point of view, it's the good. cost of it, well, it's a compliment. Depends. How do you define Israel's <laughs> national interest? Of course, uh, uh, but but a from a negotiation perspective, the no deal with Iran will allow or currently allows Iran to continue their enrichment effort with a relatively, compared to what it could have been, a relatively weaker uh, monitoring uh, mechanism. The same in the West Bank. Israel, by doing nothing or not pursuing any political negotiations with uh, whoever they want to negotiate on the Palestinian side, Israel believes that it works in her favor, uh, according to Bennett or Saar or the right wing. Uh, but when there is a stalemate in the negotiation, uh, I, I would say the word status quo is a misleading word because there is no status quo in, in, on, on, on the ground. There is no status quo in the negotiations with Iran. There is a, a stalemate. And in this stalemate, the Iranian uh, proceeding, are proceeding towards the bomb. And in the Israeli-Palestinian front, the, there is no status quo in the West Bank. There is more and more, I would say, uh, land grab and expansion of, uh, of the Israeli settlement there and diminishing rights of the, of the Palestinians. And that create, as we saw, uh, a very fertile land for Hamas. Whether Israel should negotiate politically with Hamas, I believe that Israel should negotiate with any political power, uh, because why is it, I'm asking, why is it legitimate to negotiate in bribing Hamas or negotiating a prisoner's exchange, and it is illegitimate to negotiate a political um, agreement? Even Trump... Maybe because Bibi's, there is uh, no no political agreement uh, on the agenda. Hamas does not recognize the, the very right of Israel to exist. Maybe this is the reason. But you know what? Let, let's not dive about it. This is uh, Israeli politics. I want to go back to the Iranian track. Uh, when uh, the, the, the negotiation uh, around the JCPOA uh, took place, many Israeli senior officials, uh, by the way, like Amos Yadlin, uh, General Yadlin, and and many other Israelis in the, in the defense uh, establishment said that the problem was that Iran came to these negotiations like a superpower, while the United States came to these negotiations like an underdog. Instead of acting like a superpower, holding a big stick in one hand, uh, for example, uh, maneuvering or sending one or two uh, carriers to the Gulf, the, the Americans under Obama was talking very soft and there was no solid military option on the table. Now, in the last uh, meeting uh, between Biden and Bennett, I think the prime minister was sweating a lot until we heard from the, from the president that if the diplomatic uh, uh, measures will fail, there are other options, but, but maybe just uh, like you said, the, the Americans are not behaving like, like a superpower when they're going to talk to Iran. The, the, the Americans are using a business, not a Trump business, but a, a classic win-win 
when it is completely irrelevant. You 100% agree. Uh, I agree with you 100%. You 100% right. When you come to negotiate with uh, uh, counterparts or rivals like Iran, like Hezbollah, like Hamas, you need, first of all, to establish a very strong power position. So the cost of no deal for the other side will be greater than the deal you offer them. They should have no batnas, better alternative to negotiate the agreement, but only oh. watnas. This is what Russians are doing. Russia is negotiating with the rebels all the time on the ground in, in Syria, but they do it after they bomb them to hell. And then they say, let's come to talk. And I'm not saying bombing Iran before coming to negotiate, but definitely holding a very strong and reliable stick, whether it is a carrier, whether it is an influence campaign, whether it's an effective sanction, whether it's a discrete military operation and we do have some capability to uh, uh, hurt them militarily without leaving traces. Okay, uh, so but US finally... is not, but yeah, but America is not doing it, unfortunately, as part of their negotiation strategy. So finally, because we are out of time, although it's very interesting, if, if Prime Minister Bennett will, will summon you now and ask you, Moti Crystal, you're an, an, an expert in negotiation, a, a lecturer, and you have so, so much experience, what should we do now vis-a-vis -vis the United States and the negotiation with Iran? And secondly, a, a forbidden question, an outrageous question. Do you think there is a place or a possibility of a secret uh, in a, in a negotiation track, maybe even um, by proxies of Israel and Iran? The answer to the second more provocative question is definitely uh, yes. Oh. Um, uh, you know, in the last, uh, in the last, uh, I would say five years, I'm invest, I'm investing a lot of energy in negotiating with cyber criminals, those uh, bastards who hack your systems, and you negotiate for ransom. Behind any evil, there's a human being, and when there is a human being, whether it is a regime that wants to feel safe. Uh, whether he's a hacker who is interested in money or whether he's a political leader who's interested in his, uh, I would say, heritage or the, the, uh, what he leaves behind, there's always a human interest. And without engaging, you will not be able to find out what is the human uh, interest. So what I would recommend Prime Minister Bennett to do is you know, acknowledging the fact that we need negotiation or engagement, or I would say a structured professional political dialogue. I'm a structurist person. I believe in structures and bring back what we had in Barack and Olmert years, which is the negotiation unit or negotiation uh, uh, operations center within the National Security Council or the Prime Minister's office, which means that I 
the same that I have my military people uh, to conduct military operation. I have my own professional negotiation team and I acknowledge the fact that negotiation or political engagement is a tool uh, to uh, execute any strategy that I will choose. And yes, I would initiate negotiation. As I said, negotiation is neither a policy nor an ideology. Negotiation is an instrument with Hamas, with Hezbollah, with, uh, through the Russians, through the Chinese, everything in close, close consultation and cooperation with the Americans, part of this opening new page in the relationship between Israeli government and, and the Biden administration. It was very interesting. Moti Kristal, I want to thank you, thank you very much for joining us here in, uh, on Israel in Al Monitor. We will take a short break and come back with some final thoughts. Uh, thank you, Moti, for that. Thank you, Gideon. I'm Andrew Parasoliti, president of the award-winning media news site, El Monitor, where we cover the Middle East with some of the best reporters and columnists anywhere. And I'm excited to announce our new podcast, On the Middle East, where each week I will interview newsmakers from the U.S. and the region about the latest news and trends with additional commentary from our on-the-ground correspondents. Those of you who follow the region know that what happens in the Middle East doesn't stay in the Middle East. And to cite another great movie line, every time the U.S. tries to get out, the region pulls us back. Your time is valuable, so let me promise you this. You will learn something and you will never be bored because each week we'll be talking with and listening to those leaders who are making the news and shaping the trends in this critical and fascinating region. So please subscribe to On the Middle East with me, Andrew Parasoliti. Thank you for staying with us. Moti Crystal is praising the new approach of the Israeli government under Naftali Bennett in Al-Afid, avoiding an all-out diplomatic war with the American administration, learning from the acute mistake of Benjamin Netanyahu that preferred a confrontation with the President Obama instead of trying to use negotiation as a managing tool and recognize the power of process. The surprise of this uh, conversation came uh, in the end when Crystal, who is close to some guys in the Bennett team and spent many years in the IDF special negotiation team, said that Israel should not rule out anything, including trying to negotiate even with Iranians, directly or through mediators. Behind every evil, said Crystal, stands a human being. I hope uh, you found it interesting, and I hope to see you here next Monday in Al Monitor in On Israel. I'm Mikas Pitfon Tel Aviv. Take care.